0: Marshall Shelley is the editor of a publication called Leadership Journal, and years ago, he wrote an article titled, Two Minutes to Eternity. He said, I was with my son for his entire life, two minutes. He entered the world at 8.20 p.m., and he departed at 8.22 p.m., My son had a condition called trisomy 13, a chromosomal abnormality. The doctor said that he might spontaneously miscarry before birth, but if he was born, he would not survive very long outside the womb. Marshall goes on to explain how he and his wife, Susan, prayed for total and complete healing, but if that were not possible, Could the child at least experience the breath of life? Marshall wrote, Even that request seemed in jeopardy as the labor began, as the contractions got more severe, signs of fetal distress got more severe, and then suddenly the baby was out. The doctor cut the cord and gently placed him on Susan's chest. He was a healthy pink, and we saw his chest rise and fall. The breath of life, thank you, God. Then almost immediately, he began to turn blue. We stroked his face and whispered words of welcome, words of life, words of farewell. And all too soon, the doctor said, he's gone. Marshall said that uh, within minutes, their pastor and their parents and their children came into the room. He said, we wept together. We held one another and we took turns holding our son. He said, my chest ached from the heaviness. Death is enormous, immense, and unstoppable. Marshall Shelley wrote, The loss was crushing. I'm not sure I can describe it. Marshall and Susan named their son Toby, which is short for Tobiah, which is Hebrew for God is good. Now, I don't know how anyone could endure an ordeal like that without the hope of Scripture. Without the hope of God's word, without the hope of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to be reading verses 50 to 58. The Apostle Paul says, I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15 is a gift of hope, it's a gift from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 is the most complete explanation in Scripture about what we're going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth. What we've been learning here the past two months in this series, Hope for Heaven, is that God's final plan in the afterlife for his people is not some wispy, ghost-like, floating-in-the-clouds kind of existence. Christianity does not teach a disembodied existence in eternity. Uh, Our church's statement of faith puts it succinctly, at physical death, the believer enters immediately into eternal conscious fellowship with the Lord and awaits the resurrection of his body to everlasting glory and blessing. So Christianity teaches that when we die, when believers die, their spirits depart from the body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, where the Lord is, in a place that Jesus himself identified as paradise, to the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. But still, that is not the final state. There in paradise, we wait with the Lord. A day in history, which the Bible calls the day. The day. The appearing of Christ when God will bring heaven to earth and complete a restoration project leading to the new heavens and the new earth. God's plan, our destiny in Christ is a resurrected life in a resurrected body on a resurrected earth with the resurrected Christ. The new heavens and the new earth. That's our destiny I like how Cambridge-educated physicist and Anglican priest, John Polkinghorne, put it. He said, at death, God will download our software onto his hardware until the time he gives us new hardware to run the software again for ourselves. There it is. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, our destiny. Resurrected life, resurrected body, with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth, the new heavens, and the new earth. Well naturally this leads to the question well, what will our resurrected bodies be like? And you know and how can we be sure about this pastor and how is this, all this even possible? Well Paul discusses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he answers this in a very logical way. He walks us through three reasons to believe the resurrection body. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to walk through Paul's reasoning and his logic. And what I really appreciate about this passage of Scripture is that Paul connects with the head and the heart. He speaks to the intellect, and he speaks to the emotions. He, he begins with the plausibility of the resurrection body. That's in verses 35 to 41. The plausibility of the resurrection body, the, the likelihood, the, the reasonableness of it. You're not crazy to think about the idea that there's a resurrection body. It's plausible. But then he moves to the certainty of the resurrection body. And that's in verses 42 to 49. And then he concludes with the necessity of the resurrection body. It's not an option. It's a must. Plausibility, certainty, necessity. Let's just walk with Paul as he teaches us. And and, and let me just stop here and um, tell us why this matters. Church, One of my responsibilities as your pastor is to help you learn how to suffer. How to suffer with hope. I know most of you here. I don't know everybody here. But I know this about everybody here. You either have suffered you are suffering or you're gonna suffer we're all here and I want to help us learn how to suffer with hope and hope is not wishful thinking that's not hope hope is a life lived On a firm foundation that brings peace. So I want to give you hope today. Let that lead to peace. I like what Paul David Tripp once wrote Looking at death in the face is meant to make you wise, and ultimately, it's meant to give you peace. So let's begin with the plausibility of the resurrection body. That begins in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And the apostle Paul responds with, you foolish person, verse 36. Now, let's just stop right there. Why would he say that? I know how to clear my calendar of pastoral visits with you. Whatever's on your heart, when you come into the study, I listen intently, and I begin with, You foolish person! All right? Give me more time for golf. Because I'd be unemployed, too. But why would Paul say that? Well here's what we need to remember. And see, you know, when we're reading the New Testament, when we're reading letters like 1 Corinthians, you realize, don't you, we're reading somebody else's mail. See? And that's what we're doing here. The backstory story is that the Apostle Paul had a very quarrelsome relationship with the Christians at Corinth. I mean, they loved each other and they knew that he loved them. I mean, the very last verse of The letter, 1 Corinthians, ends with, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. So, you know, they loved each other. He loved them. They knew that. They loved him. He he loved that. But, you know, sometimes in that dynamic, people can just make you crazy. And they made him crazy. The church was very smart. Christian community at Corinth consisted of a former synagogue leader and a city treasurer and high highly skilled artisans, and laborers, and journeymen, and, and, and Christians wealthy enough to host the multiple house churches that met. They didn't have 10 acres in the south of, uh, uh, Cor- southwest part of Corinth to gather. You know, well, there may have been 10 acres, but would have been privately owned. And so, you know, they were sharp people, that, but they were too smart for their own good. They loved Christ, but they also loved their way of life, and their world. And and, and they asked questions, but it was the way they asked those questions. And some of those Corinthians, they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. You know what? Paul, what do you need a bodily resurrection for? I don't like my body anyway. Why would I want to come back like this, huh? Come on, resuscitated corpse. Give me a break. Bah, humbug, come on. Verse 12 now, if Christ is proclaimed, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? I mean, this just absolutely unhinged Paul. That's why he says, you foolish person, don't you know? You know what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What, what you sow, you, we're not talking about resuscitated corpses here. What you sow is not the body that is to be. Paul says, go out and look at the field of corn that's to the east of your gathering. You'll see the pattern for the resurrection. The seed is sown and the stock is raised. What was planted? Corn. What was raised? Corn. Same stuff. Different body." The seed is one kind of body that transforms into another kind of body when it's buried, when it's planted, when it dies. The first grader was learning this at school, studying plants and all, about the same time that his family attended a funeral of a loved one. And one day, as the family was driving past a cemetery, the first grader said, Hey, mom, that's where they plant people. (laughs) There it is. The grave is not a burial, it's a planting. The grave is not a hole in the ground, it's a fertile furrow. The grave is not a resting place, it's a transformation place. Jesus himself said this in John 12 24 Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See? Furthermore, Paul argues, if you had never before seen a stalk of corn, you would never be able to guess its potential as a seed. See, the glory of the stalk is a mystery in the heart of the seed. The glory of an oak tree is hidden in the heart of an acorn. And all of this is from God, who is able to create specific types of bodies. For specific types of life. That's verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. And in verses 39 to 41, uh, Paul just gives a kind of a catalog of body types. There's human body type, there's a bird body type, there's a fish body type, there's a star body type, there's a sun body type, there's a moon body. And each body, Paul says, has a doxa to it, a glory to it. Doxa, doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Doxology, doxa, a word of praise. Doxa from docao, meaning to consider, to count, to weigh in, to give an opinion, implying something that's weighty or dense or splendid. Splendor. So there are different bodies which possess different splendors or glories. Verse 42 and so it is with the resurrection of the dead see what is sown is perishable what is sown is frail that's the word dishonor in verse 43 what is sown is weak what is sown is the natural body we now have the natural body the body with sore muscles and Stuffy noses, the body that needs medicine, the body that needs glasses, the body that sometimes needs hospitalization, the natural body. Paul says if there's a natural body, well, then there's a spiritual body body that is imperishable, a body that is glorious, a body that is powerful, the type of body that is animated and empowered and propelled by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why it's referred to as a spiritual body, a body with reference to the Holy Spirit. So when Paul is comparing the natural body with the spiritual body, the difference is not so much between a a wooden ship versus an iron ship. The difference is between a sailboat and a steamboat, that which animates that body, and this spiritual body is one that pertains to the Holy Spirit, a body that is flooded and empowered and given life with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and Paul says the quality of such body my goodness, will last forever, both inside and out. The natural body pertains to the man of dust, the first Adam. But Jesus is the final Adam, the last Adam. Adam being the progenitor of a new race. Jesus is the beginning of a new race of people. Paul says in verse 49, just as we have put on, just as we have borne, just as we have worn the image of the man of dust, so we will also bear or wear or put on the image of the man of heaven. So, this week, when you're feeling spiritually and emotionally low, I have this spiritual experience for you, and I'm serious on this. Go gawk at a field of corn because that is where your future is. A different kind of body is planted and a different kind of body is raised. The plausibility of a resurrection body comes from the farmer's field. But listen, church. Our faith is on firmer footing than... Mere plausibility. Our faith stems from certainty. While a plausibility of a resurrection body comes from a full field of corn, the certainty of our resurrection body comes from the empty tomb of Christ. And that's where Paul goes next in his argument. Uh, Paul began 1 Corinthians 15 Speaking of the bodily resurrection of Christ, and he relays in the verses that Katie read before our communion time, he relays to the Corinthians the five irrefutable facts concerning Christ's resurrection. These are historical, irrefutable facts. Fact number one Christ died. Fact number two Christ was buried. I mean, witnesses saw where Christ's body was placed, in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It's a fact. It's a historical fact. Fact number three, on the third day of his death, the tomb was empty. No one disputes that. Fact number four, reports from people in various size dynamics. Peter, that's Cephas. And then the twelve. And then to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And the implication is, Paul says, if you don't believe me, go ask the witnesses. They're still alive. They'll attest to that. Reports from people in various size dynamics spoke of the appearance of the resurrected Christ. And it wasn't like he was this wispy ghost. It was a bodily resurrection. And, and, and it was a type of body. I mean, I mean... It was Jesus, but there was something different about him. Fact number five, changed lives. That's what Paul is trying to get across when he speaks in verse nine of one who was once a persecutor of the church, but by divine appointment has become an apostle. In his excellent book, 30 years that changed the world. Michael Green wrote that between AD 33 and AD 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it grew in strength, numbers, and credibility. It went from Jerusalem to the capital city of Rome. Christianity grew in those three decades to the extent That, I mean, a Roman emperor ended up blaming the Christians for the burning of Rome. It eventually became the world's largest faith, changing the lives of hundreds of millions of people. Christianity has had an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and the seedbed for all of this, the time when it took decisive root was over a period of three decades. And it all began with a dozen men and a handful of women and the Holy Spirit of God. What else could account for this other than the historical bodily resurrected Christ? The fact-based resurrection of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What God did in raising Jesus, he intends to do for the entire cosmos. And so if Christ has been raised, we will be raised. And we must, we must. The the plausibility of the resurrection Go to the field of corn. And the certainty of the resurrection, go see the empty tomb of Christ. Now becomes the necessity of the resurrection. Verse 53, for this imperishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And why? Why must it? Your mirror and my mirror tells us why. Your body and my body not equipped for life in the new heavens and the new earth. My body has a hard enough time for this life. Let alone the next life. Glasses. You know I wear. Get this, not just contact lenses. I wear bifocal contact lenses. You know that? They don't work. That's why I have these readers here. I complain to my optometrist about it. He says, you know what? He, eh. That'll be $35. And that's just the copay. I read our prayer requests. Last week it was broken bones, sprained legs, heart disease, and cancer. That was just last week. Your body gets tired. And for some of us, Your body's never been strong. Your eyesight's never been sharp. Your hearing's never been clear. Your walk has never been sturdy. Your heart has never been steady. And you see others every day take for granted the things you struggle with. And if you never saw another wheelchair or a walker or a doctor or a bottle of pills for the rest of your life, you'd be happy. Our bodies, as they are, are not equipped for the kingdom of God. But it's not just the outside. It's the inside, too. (laughs) It's the heart. And I don't know about your heart, but my heart. When I show up at Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights, I introduce myself. Hi, I'm Randy. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I struggle with legalism. I'm I'm the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, and I struggle with anger. It's a heart issue. And what's worse, I'm often in denial about it. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our sick bodies and our sick hearts in the brokenness of this sick world make our current situation incompatible with the kingdom of God. But here's the deal. In Christ, you are a new creation. In Christ, he transforms a corrupted heart into newness of life. In Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing In Christ, he has already started the good work in you, and he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ. God is doing his work from the inside out, and so our body just needs to catch up with what God is doing in our hearts. In her book, A Place of Healing, author Johnny Erickson Tata reflects on the word normal. Johnny, who has uh, been without the use. She's been a quadriplegic since 1967. She writes, relief from chronic pain, even though I remain paralyzed, would be blissfully, peacefully, joyously normal for, the, for me these days. And all I could ask for, and then she shares this quote, normal day, normal day, let me be aware of the treasure you are. Normal day, let me not pass you by in some quest for some rare and perfect tomorrow. One day I shall dig my nails into the earth or bury my face in my pillow or stretch myself taut or raise my hands to the sky and want more than all the world your return. Johnny wrote, that's my take on normal. And then she said this, come to think of it, I'm not even a normal quadriplegic I'm not, I have now exceeded the expected lifespan of a person with my level of injury and paralysis. The bare fact is this, many people in my condition simply don't live as long as I've lived. And so my thoughts have not been so much on picking up the old life on my feet I left behind in 1967 as much as stepping into the new life and the new body that awaits me. And then she wrote this, Yes, I pray that my pain might be removed, that it might cease. But more so, I pray for the strength to bear it, the grace to benefit from it, and the devotion to offer it up to God as a sacrifice of praise. Well, one day, that pain will be removed. One day... Her pain will cease. Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed Paul is referencing the appearing, the appearing of the emperor who will bring heaven with him to remake the new heavens and the new earth. And in verses 54 to 55, Paul referencing, echoing two prophets of old, Isaiah and Hosea, he taunts death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death. Where is your sting? Oh, it ain't so bad. I've seen it in the critical care unit. I've seen it in the nursing homes. And I've seen it in your homes. I've seen it in the over 100 funerals that I've performed as your pastor. I've seen the sting of death. And death wins the battle every time. but Christ has won the war. Verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One scholar wrote, the resurrection of Christ is a military route of death itself. The resurrection of Christ is the reversal of Death. The resurrection of Christ is the undoing of death. The resurrection of Christ is the death of death. And that is our hope. Our hope is not in something. Our hope is in someone. Jesus is our hope for heaven. And that's why we gather here. The prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse Of the new heavens and the new earth in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. For the Lord shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How can the waters cover the sea? They are the sea. Don't you see, God intends to flood the earth with himself as though the entire cosmos was designed to be a receptacle for his love. God made you. God made your body. God will make your new body to be a receptacle of his love, to be filled and flooded and drenched in and with God. I want that. It's what we've been made for. That's our destiny. Three months after Marshall Shelley buried his two-minute old son, he buried another child of his, his daughter Mandy, born severely retarded. She just could not respond to her environment. And two weeks shy of her second birthday, She died. He wrote, Not long after we buried Toby and Mandy, our seven-year-old daughter Stacy told us that she heard God's voice in the middle of the night telling her that Mandy and Toby are very busy. They're building our house. They're guarding his throne. Not knowing how to respond to a child who's never offered a claim like that before. I found myself reading the Bible with renewed interest in descriptions of heavenly activities and what I found was that heaven is a place of immense service and activity. The Apostle John wrote in Revelation chapter 22, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his Face. Listen, listen, it's not just that the face of Christ is so full of raw power that it will mean the death of death. It's that the face of Christ is so filled with beauty that his face attracts our trust and attracts our joy and attracts our repentance and attracts our love and attracts our adoration. And they will reign forever and ever. Could it be that in heaven that we will finally start the most significant service of our lives? Could it be that we will find in heaven the new heavens and the new earth? That this is what we were truly created for. That that this world is not our final destination, but a preparation for our final destination. Could it be that the reason I was created was not for anything to accomplish on this earth, but for the role we are to fulfill forever in the new heavens and the new earth? And so Marshall Shelley wrote, Why did God create a child to live two minutes? He didn't. He didn't create Toby to live two minutes or Mandy to live two years. God created them for eternity. He created each of us for eternity that we might be a receptacle of his love where we will find our true calling, the calling which just kind of always seems to be out of reach here on earth. But in the new heavens and the new earth. Resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. All brought about by our King, who gave himself so that the kingdom could live. Therefore, my beloved brothers,